Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where the only funny thing about this story is Hans Asman. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. Uh, didn't he maybe murder a bunch of teens? The number of teens that he may have murdered will shock you. <laughs> it's more than three. Ooh, multiple teens. So welcome to this installment of the Spooky Summer series. Um, we're going camping and you're not going to like it. <laughs> Which is a bad idea. <laughs> we're, we're going Friday the 13th camping, basically. Oh, lovely. Uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately... None of these teens were placed in a sleeping bag and slammed against a tree, so they have that going for them. What Friday the 13th movie was that in? Um, second or third. That sounds upsetting. Oh, yeah. Well, because in the first one, spoiler alert, it was his mom and... Everyone knows that. I haven't seen the movies and I know that. (laughs) Uh, They're fine. Uh, Don't come for me. Slasher films are my thing. But (laughs) it was his mom, so like... That woman did not have the the core strength to lift a sleeping bag with a teenage girl in it and slam it in a tree, so it would have had to have been one of the ones where it was actually Jason. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, she did murder Kevin Bacon, though, so... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that takes for her. Stre- strength of character. <laughs> I think Kevin Bacon's actually a really nice guy, but... <laughs> I, I I am indifferent to Kevin Bacon. To yeah, I, I don't have strong opinions. The scene in Nightmare on Elm Street where Johnny Depp gets sucked into that blood vortex really takes on a new light. <laughs> anyway, so I made the mistake of choosing to do another true crime story. Uh, if you guys remember the Amityville episode and the temporary insanity that happened with that one. Yeah, you kind of go off the deep end with these. Well, I just get really lost in, like, finding evidence, like, and corroborating sources because I don't want to, like, give you guys facts that aren't true, but, like, trying to line stuff up, especially in a foreign language, is really difficult. Yeah. Um, So we're going to talk about the Lake Bottom murders. Um, Is it Lake Bottom or Bodom? Bodom? I think it's Bodom. We are definitely, both of us... Going to pronounce it both ways the whole time. I can't even blame it on me being super white because these are some of the whitest people in the world. But it's like Scandinavian white, which is that's the you should be notoriously hard to pronounce. I am not Scandinavian. I think I am a little bit. I'm gonna first give a warning. Um, this episode will contain discussions of violent crimes, including sexual and domestic assault. Um, so while everyone should probably find these things upsetting, I would recommend skipping this episode if you are particularly upset by any of these things. Um, I didn't get into, like, super gory details, but it's gonna be rough. Yeah, I mean, it is a true crime episode. There's never a lot that's good. I think we should it. all just be thankful that I decided to not do the Girl Scout murders. Yeah, actually, yes. I don't know why four teens being murdered is better than, like, four young girls. Three young girls? But. Uh, four, I think. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like, I feel more anxiety watching it than I do watching every other horror movie. I think, like, the little kids being in danger is... That's why Stranger Things is so upsetting. They're not little kids anymore, but... No. I was gonna say, I feel almost no... <laughs> I- 
I, I like all the characters on Stranger Things, but I don't feel a lot of tension about oh, them. I, I do. I have to look up uh, how the episodes, like the summaries of the episodes <laughs> right. before I watch it. Um, just because I get really attached to certain children, and then <laughs> we know about this. I definitely haven't had Chrissy wake up stuck in my head for the last, like, two weeks. <laughs> Thanks. Now it's back in my head. Good. <laughs> All right, I'm going to actually sort my sur- sort my sources, cite my sources first, um, because I always forget to do that. Uh, all right, so we have all that's interesting, and a, a website that I had to go to the Wayback Machine for, uh, Medium, Mental Floss, Atlas Obscura, a website called The Casual Criminalist, which was actually one of the, the most helpful sources. Ooh, that sounds like a fun website. Uh, um, and then a bunch of articles that were originally in Finnish papers with names that I can't pronounce, and that I was reading with, I'm going to say, questionable Google Translate. <laughs> Sometimes you just need some, like, extra background. You don't well, yeah. necessarily need to understand it. You don't need to understand the prose. You just need to get the gist of it. I mostly wanted crime scene photos. <laughs> Not for Grim. pervert reasons, but... <laughs> For analysis reasons. Yes. Also for pervert, pervert reasons. I have theories. Okay. <laughs> I have to do my true crime voice. I promised Sarah I wouldn't do Nancy Grace. Yeah, right. no, you're not allowed. In fact, let's not mention her, because she's the worst. Coincidentally, um, if you really want to be mad at Nancy Grace, uh, you're wrong about just a series where they read her book, and it's it will make you hate Nancy Grace more than you probably already hate Nancy Grace, which is impressive. I mean, she's made a career on harassing people, so I'm, I'm like, not a fan. It's the harassing people, and it's definitely just, like, her outlook on crime. Like, she's a former prosecutor, so she's very much, like, criminals... <laughs> her whole motto is criminals are bad which feels like it should be a thing but like very much like no room for um maybe they're yeah they no room it. for like nuance or like and it's like very pro law enforcement sort of she's one of those people that like if Bullshit. someone isn't grieving the way that she thinks that they should be they're guilty yes that yes. being said she is I, very oh the thing is like she has very poor opinion of like def- criminal defense attorneys yes I mostly have memories of her during the Casey Anthony trial, in which she was probably 100% correct, but also very annoying about it. Yes. Okay. Some true crime voice. <clears throat> I think it's going to end up more forensic files than like 60 minutes, but <laughs> which it isn't always about crime. I don't know. Okay. So the time, 11 a.m. on June 5th, 1960. The place, Lake Bodum, Finland. A man named Esko Johansson and his son are heading to take a morning dip in the lake when they stumble upon a terrifying scene. Tangled in the shredded, bloody remains of a small tent are four bodies. Three of them, Seppo Boisman, 18, Mal- Malia Bjorklund, and Anya Mackey, both 15, are dead. The remaining teen, 18-year-old Nils Gustafsson, is barely alive on top of the pile. Cerebral cerebral fluid is leaking from his nose, and there is a gash so big across his broken jaw that his teeth are visible. To this day, no one knows what exactly happened to these kids, although there are many theories. Tonight, on Afternoonified. (laughs) Why why didn't you just make this here cold open? (laughs) Because it was too close to what I did with the Twilight Zone thing on the Vortex episode. Uh, Insert Law & Order theme song here. Okay. So, um, let's wind things back a bit. 
uh, specifically to the day before, which was June 4th, 1960. Uh, I'm going to use the phrase the teens a lot. Because <laughs> there's you know, no the teens these days, the teens in their big jeans and Crocs. <laughs> OK, so the, the teens were on a romantic camping trip because despite an age difference that feels very janky now, um, they were paired off as a, a Boisman and Maki and Gustafson and Bjorklund. Okay, what you're going to have to repeat their ages because they didn't retain that information. Both of the boys, uh, Boisman and Gustafson, are 18. Okay. Uh, Mackie and uh, Bjorklund are 15. Okay. That's not the worst. It's not huge, but like just 15, 18 feels strange. It definitely, yeah, feels like something that was a lot more prevalent in like the 70s. In the 60s, yeah. So the girls knew each other from school and the boys worked at a foundry together. So earlier in the day on the 4th, they arrived via two motorcycles to a peninsula uh, on the shores of Lake Bottom. Uh, they had chosen a well-known campsite, and I don't know, it's a nice area. The The lake is located near the city of, it's spelled Espoo. Espoo? Uh, which How's is it spelled? E-S-P-O-O. Espoo? Yeah. Espoo. Um, which is about 14 miles from Helsinki. For anyone who needs a better point of reference. Like I said, it seemed like a nice enough place. It is the second most populated city in Finland that was first settled in the prehistoric area, according to the Wikipedia page that I got distracted by. <laughs> oh, and it's the home of, uh, I believe it's pronounced Jonas Sutambo, uh, the guy who currently plays Chewbacca in Star Wars. So that's cool. <laughs> fun, fun trivia fact. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, Lake Bodum, the largest of uh, Espoo's... 71 lakes. 71 lakes? That's very impressive. It's a lot of lakes. I feel like some of them are very small and shouldn't be considered lakes, but I'm also not going to Maybe ponds. Judge. Yeah. Yeah. No word on how many are man-made either. While the, the lake and its surrounding areas are very scenic and nature-y, it's not actually that far from town, which is going to be of some importance later on. Uh, it's like, maybe a 10-minute drive from the Espoo Ikea, which I'm unclear whether or not that location was open <laughs> at the time of the murders. I went... Okay, now, now we gotta look this up. When did Ikea start? 70s, I think. 1943. So, I mean, oh it could God, have it been, been, been there. Open. I mean, I don't have a timeline of, like, stores opening, but, like, yeah, it's it's feasible that there would have been an Ikea in this town. I didn't look that far into Google Maps, but, like, it's not far from town. Gotcha. So the kids swam, they laughed, the boys at least drank, and then around midnight, uh, it is thought that they headed to bed. And the details of what happened that night are fuzzy at best, uh, given that the only surviving witness suffered a major head wound later in the night. The only surviving witness had his head bashed in. Yes. Which is not conducive to memory, usually. <laughs> so according to an alleged journal entry, uh, as in two sources mentioned it, and there's a photo, but I also couldn't, like, solidly confirm that. The Wikipedia is very light on information. That's usually where I, like, cross-reference stuff because they have, like, citations. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I, I found uh, a mention of a journal entry and a journal on two websites, one of which had a picture, which I'll put up on the, the uh, Instagram, or I'll give it to Sarah to put up on the Instagram. So, uh, anyway, a journal entry by Myla, I think it's pronounced that way, 
Uh, the boys couldn't sleep and fucked around for like another two hours. Um, so the entry reads, quote, fifth day, camping at Lake Bottom, Seppi and Nice were drunk, up at 2 a.m., Seppi was fishing. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, in Finland during this time of year, the nights are incredibly short. because. Oh, of- yeah. So it probably is light. Yeah. It never really gets dark. And when it does, it's dark for like maybe three hours, which is also going to be important. Regardless of whether or not this journal entry is real, it's generally accepted that at some point between four and six in the morning, the group was brutally attacked, both with a knife and a blunt object through the canvas of their tent, which is a nightmare. That's awful. Like, how do you fight back against that? Um, You don't. (laughs) That's the problem. Technically, before Esko Johansson and his son happened upon the scene, two boys out birdwatching saw the collapsed tent and mentioned seeing a blonde man walking away. However, they apparently didn't notice the bodies from a distance. Um, and were they, they still in the tent or were they? Uh, two of them were still wrapped up in the tent. Two of them were like half in, half out. Okay. I can see how if you're far away, you weren't going to necessarily... Yeah, the from what I can tell, the boys were, like, on a trail, looking down another trail um, from a couple, at least a couple dozen yards. So they moved on with their lives. As you and, do. And uh, that, that's probably for the best, because what Esco and later, a full hour later, the police found, <laughs> took the police an hour to get I was going to say, this was rural Finland, but also they weren't that far out of town. No. Um, yeah, that the scene would have traumatized the fuck out of those sweet little bird peeping baby boys. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's no way that was a pleasant sight. When the police arrived, finally, um, they found Gustafson and Bjorklund laying on top of the tent. Um, though by some accounts, uh, Bjorklund, one of the girls, was hidden partially inside the tent's fabric. Um, and she was naked from the waist down with her jeans, like, pulled down around her her ankles, Mm -hmm. which I don't know why she had jeans on in bed, but, you know, that's her business. Um, And she had clearly been stabbed many more times than the others, even after she had died. And she also had a lot of defensive wounds, which are the worst kind. I don't like that. Boisman and Maki were inside, both still horrifically mangled and beaten, just less so than Bjorklund and definitely less so than uh, Gustafsson, who was still alive. Like I said, Gustafson was still alive, but uh, with serious wounds and no real memory of what happened, they kind of just carted him off to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And after he had regained consciousness, uh, a couple days later, he told authorities that the attacker was in all black with red eyes. Oh, I hate that. The crime scene was, to put it nicely, a confusing clusterfuck. Uh, Rather than enter the tent and stab the teenagers from the inside, it appeared that the assailant had cut the rope that was holding the canvas up. They're called guy ropes. Um, Like when you see an old-timey tent and it has the long rope coming from the front and the back and they're, like, staked into the ground. Uh Uh-huh. He cut those. So the tent collapsed around them um, and then proceeded to stab them and beat them with uh, a knife and, they think, a rock through the canvas. Uh, which tore the tent to shreds in the process. Several strange items were missing from the scene. Uh, The keys to the motorcycles were gone, but the motorcycles hadn't been taken. 
Uh, Gustafson's shoes were also missing, although they were later found roughly half a mile from the tent, along with parts of his clothing, and there were blood on both of those things. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. And those shoes are going to be very important later. Mm-hmm. Noted. Putting a pen in that. Mm-hmm. So the knife and the rock, maybe, unidentified blunt object were never actually located, along with the camper's wallets. Um, though I came across an article from a Finnish paper that said the knife might have been recovered 20 years after the fact by a swimmer on the shore of the lake. Interesting. How could they, like, be sure at that point that it was a knife? I have, I mean, it was a knife that was near the lake. I don't know. There were three sentences at the end of the article, and I don't know enough about Finland to know if it was, like, a weird tabloid or something. Fair. I mean, in all fairness, they were covering a trial, so. Yeah. So when the police arrived is when the story goes from horrifying to fucking stupid (laughs) and horrifying in a different way. The police did not secure the scene. Good job. Great. Off to a great start. Uh, They only took about 20 photos, which uh, a couple of the sources said that the photos that they were taken were on one of the police officer's personal cameras where he happened to have 20 exposures left. Like, they hadn't come prepared to take crime scene photos. And then, inexplicably, they called in soldiers from the Finnish military to help locate the missing items, (laughs) which further fucked up potential evidence. So you have police officers, soldiers just stomping around this campsite. Just, yeah, let's bring in a bunch of people that are untrained in crime scenes, and what's the worst that could happen? And then shortly after the police left, curious onlookers all but destroyed the rest of the murder scene. Of course. It's always the curious onlookers. So while clues were thin on the ground um, at that point, there was a matter of a pillowcase that was found next to the tent. It was rolled up and held with an elastic band, and investigators found traces of blood and semen on the fabric, um, though none of these samples could be linked to any of the victims. But it could have been because of an unknown suspect, um, Mm -hmm. or it was the 60s, and we were kind of still figuring that out. Yeah. So it could have just been, like, a mixture of all of those things, and you can't really tell uh, anything from mixed blood samples. At the morgue, closer inspection of the bodies offered up little less than some horrific details. Little less. Little more. Uh, Boisman, for example, the, uh, the boy... Uh, had suffered a stab wound to the neck, likely dying from blood inhalation. Oh, oh, that's bad. Uh-huh. Oh, that's bad in so many ways. Bjorklin had defensive wounds on her arms, and she had been stabbed around 15 times, some of which probably after she was already dead. Ugh. See, what that tells me is that she <laughs> was not giving up without a fight. Like, everyone yeah. else was like, I will p- pass away now. And and she was just like, I'll play dead and hope he doesn't, which I'm pretty sure is what Gustafson did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So about that blonde guy that the bird boys saw walking away from the tent. Oh, yes. Tell me about the bird boys. Your sweet bird boys. I don't have any more information on the bird boys. (laughs) Yes. Unfortunately, the the bird boys don't make more of an appearance in the story. Um, So Gustafson had his bit about seeing a man with red eyes dressed in black through a rip in the canvas. but. He was also under hypnosis and had suffered a concussion when he said that. Both so, of those things aren't great for getting reliable testimony. Like, yeah. can we not use hypnosis anymore? I get this was the 60s and they didn't, they should have known better, but they clearly didn't. But let's just not. 
Yeah, it's it, from that, it's hard to tell if the guy from the first Twilight movie actually had been there or not. Um, <laughs> I don't understand that reference. Have you not seen Twilight? I've definitely seen the first movie, but it was like against my will, and I blocked most of it out. Soundtrack was good. <laughs> Casting was good. I mean, it That's ruined it. Supermassive Black Hole for me forever. I'm sorry, did you not enjoy the baseball scene? No, I did not. <laughs> I had a massive migraine and my friends made me watch Twilight and it was a bad night. (laughs) That was a tainted experience. You can't blame that on Robert Pattinson. I I do choose to blame it directly on Robert Pattinson. Stephanie Myers to blame Robert Pattinson has never done anything wrong in his life. (laughs) Except masturbate to a mermaid. Look, we don't talk about that. (laughs) He is vengeance, Sarah. Anyway, the bad guy from Twilight was a blonde. You know what? I'm not going to explain it. So a fisherman's son, who had been fishing relatively near the campsite, hadn't heard any commotion, but he did report seeing a blonde individual walking down the path that morning. And granted, this is Finland, so every other person is blonde. Every other? That's generous. So the only other details we have are that he was around 5'8 and likely in his 20s. So all in all... Over 4,000 people would be interviewed in hopes of finding this blonde man. Jesus. And several likely candidates were identified. So who was the mystery blonde man? I tried to think of someone blonde and didn't think of anyone fast enough. Yep. Uh, Charlie's throne. Yes. All right. That's all I have. I'm going to send you a picture in a second. So when he was under hypnosis, Gustafson did give a description to a... Uh, forensic artist. And I will send that to you now because it's it's honestly terrifying. I may have been spoiled slightly because I did do a Google image search as you were talking because I wanted to see the like. So here's our man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. Nope. I don't think Gustafson liked it either. Imagine that standing over your bed in the middle of the night. I'd rather not, Sarah. <laughs> Just think about it. I had to watch several episodes of How It's Made before I could sleep last night. (laughs) So over the years, for various reasons, there have been a number of suspects, some more buckwild than others. So the first promising candidate was a man named Polly Custa Loma. And uh, this wasn't based on a likeness to the police sketch, but something less abstract. Um, A dust-covered... Man had approached a carpenter who lived in the forest to ask for a cigarette around 10 a.m. on the day after the murders, and he had blood bloodstains on his arms and chest. And it was Loma. <laughs> yes. So that sounds promising, except for Loma was wanted by the police as he was escaped from a local labor facility, which I googled that, and I don't know what a labor facility like is. Like a workhouse? I think so. He had a track record of robbery and theft, what was very unlikely to be the one who killed the teens, as he was confirmed to have been staying in a different town on the night of the murders. And likely the blood was just his own from whatever he got up to. Got into a fight and then butchered a chicken? (laughs) Yeah, like you do after you escape from prison. (laughs) And you apparently live in the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? (laughs) There was no chicken butchering in that movie, right? Now that I remember, it's... Probably been 20 years since I've seen that movie. That's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Excuse me. Fargo's fine, but it doesn't have George Clooney in it, Sarah. But it's got William H. Macy. 
Okay, let's... Mm. Would you rather fuck George Clooney or William H. Macy in Fargo? Why are we rating Coen Brothers movies by how much we want to fuck the main character? <laughs> if that were the case, then I would have to say Hail Caesar. <laughs> Guy that plays Han Solo's in that. <laughs> Not Harrison Ford. <laughs> God, can you imagine me saying in front of God and everyone who listened to this podcast that I call Harrison Ford the guy that played Han Solo? <laughs> I think okay. Travis would call off the wedding. <laughs> uh, I'd have to return the Millennium Falcon guest book that I ordered from the Ukraine. <laughs> it's literally in Kiev right now. I'm very concerned. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got a couple months yet. That's why I ordered it so early. <laughs> All right. So it, it wasn't... It wasn't our little jailbird. Uh, so the next man was Penty so- Soinen. Sure. Uh, he had been convicted of a number of violent crimes during the 60s. Um, and when he was serving time in a local jail, he confessed to another inmate that he had committed the murders. So. I never believed those know. stories. No. Soinen claimed that he had been residing in the area at the time of the murders, but authorities did not take his confession seriously since he was believed to have suffered from a variety of mental illnesses. Okay. Uh, also, he was 15 years old in 1960. So not only never believed jailhouse informants, but also probably if he was actually bragging about it, criminals do that all the time. Uh, in 1969, he died by hanging. Well, that's a grim ending to that. Yeah. <sighs> So the first fiable suspect is a man named Carl Valdemar Gilstrom. Voldemort? Valdemar Gilstrom. Voldemort, got it. Carl. Uh, known in the local community as Kiosk Man. One word, like a superhero. Um, because he owned and operated a nearby, like, I'm pretty sure it was like a stall that had like snacks and maps. Oh, uh, yeah. Just flash, a little. Like that shit. Yeah. He was known in the area as a violent alcoholic with a track record of aggression towards his family. Uh, More importantly, though, he seemed to inexplicably hate campers like a fucking Scooby-Doo villain. Those damn kids. Yeah. Uh, So Gilstrom's kiosk near Lake Bottom was was frequented by campers. Uh, However, he was known to be hostile towards them, and witnesses claim to have seen him cut down tents, throw rocks at hikers, and uh, some even reported that they saw him leave the murder scene, but claimed to have been too afraid of him to alert the authorities. Also, I read a story where he, like, put uh, razor blades and apples that I think he was selling at his little kiosk. If you hate your customers so much, why are you selling them things to begin with? Why? Something I'd like to ask every retail worker in America. No, <laughs> I get it. Uh, Gilstrom allegedly made several confessions in which he displayed knowledge of the crime, both drunkenly and sober. And as it turned out, in the time between the murders and the search that the police performed on his property, he had reportedly filled in a well that was on his property with dirt. Uh, Although police never found any of the missing objects during their search, years later, his son-in-law maintained that he was certain that they were buried in the well. Have they ever dug up the well? Nope. Well. And I'll tell you why. Gilstrom's wife, on the other hand, said he was innocent, and she told police that he couldn't have committed the murders because they were at home together that whole evening. Um, And it's thought by some that her defense of Kiosk Man caused the police to wrap up their search much faster than they should have. Yeah. Sounds about right. Police are bad at their jobs everywhere. 
Yeah, um, especially because of his history of abuse towards his wife. And let's face it, the alibi could have been co- coerced. Oh, easily. Um, in fact, she later admitted that he had threatened to kill her if she did not provide him with an alibi. Oh, cool. Well. So nine years after the Lake uh, Bodum murders in 1969, Gielstrom drowned in Lake Suicide. In Lake Bodum, likely by suicide. <clears throat> Uh, They never recovered any of his DNA to test against things found at the crime scene. Great. Uh, One source said that he confessed to the murders in his suicide note, but I cannot confirm this. Um, Obviously, if it did exist, the police didn't consider it legitimate. I was going to say, that feels dubious to me. But Um, So this leads us to the, the butt of all of my jokes. A man who has a backstory that sounds super fake, but is somehow probably real. Hans Osman. (laughs) <laughs> his name is the word for butt. Hans Asman. Uh, there's two ends at the end of it, and he's German, so I'm sure it's pronounced Osman. Os- but I would guess Hans Osman, but we're going to call him whatever we want. Hans Asman. Uh, so Hans has a bit of a reputation in Finland, despite being German, like he immigrated. Um, he has been linked, albeit tentatively in some cases, to, I hope you're ready. Oh, dear. <sighs> The 1953 murder of Kaliki Sari, the 1955 death of Eli Imo, a double campsite murder in 1959, the Lake Boda murders in 1960, and the 1963 killing of Circa Lisa Valius. All women. Of course. Except the one guy. And, oh, yeah, from the bottom. Yeah. Well. The rest were all young women. And I mean, it makes sense to me, because if you just got to get them out of the way. The theory was that Osman was involved in the Boda murders. Oh, sorry. The theory that Osman was involved in the uh, Boda murders was brought to the public through a series of books by a doctor who had treated Osman shortly after the murders, Professor Yorma Patlow. Well, I don't like the fact that he had to write a book about it, but go on. Series of books. Oh, dear. (laughs) On June 6th, Osman turned up at the Helsinki Surgical Hospital behaving unusually. Uh, He was said to be aggressive and nervous. He had red stains splattered on his clothes, and Professor Paolo, uh, at the time he was a medical student, uh, was confident that he had been the murderer. He was in there for a stomach issue, if I'm not mistaken. He couldn't, like, change, take a shower before he goes in? Yeah, that's what I thought, but, you know. Um, After the release of the sketch made from Gustafson's description, Osman also cut his hair short, because, and get this... The sketch bore a wildly close resemblance to Osman, and I'll show you a picture in a minute, as well as a picture of a man in the crowd at the funerals of the three Lake Bodum murders. I've seen the picture of the guy in the crowd, and it's the worst. It is the worst. We will put it in the slideshow, because it's terrible. It's, it's absolutely terrible. Um, let me show you a picture of Osman. Oh, good. Here's a side-by-side with the the picture so you can and you can see the sketch again perfect i know you love love that yeah that's the same same guy yep and then you compare it to the guy in the uh the photo at the funeral god what is up with his eyes i hate it yeah it's he's got real big like big bulgy eyes and they're like really sunken in i hate it it's the worst yeah they're bulgy and sunken in it's it's not a great combination of physical features no and then just your just for reference a gift to you. Um, Why does he look so <laughs> weird? Yeah, it's he looks like a character in 
like a hammer horror movie like yeah like the old timey black and white he literally looks like he should like have prosthetics on or something it's highly worth if if you can't or don't have instagram like to to google pictures of this because it's it's wild anyway so osman looked a lot like the sketch um but despite suspicion osman had a solid alibi for the morning of the fifth well you had me convinced (laughs) well his alibi makes him more of a dickhead so you know um he had been cheating on his wife at the time and had spent the night with his lover and the two were not alone in the house with multiple witnesses confirming that he had been present and had never left the residence well he was in the crowd emily (laughs) i know but the police didn't consider him a credible um suspect they didn't consider anybody a fucking credible suspect. No, it feels like they just, like, didn't have the energy to, like, uh, like, they'll, like, they came up with like, excuses to not take the cases any further. Like, uh. yeah, it's really weird because you'd think that the, the murder of three teenagers would, you know, spark a little bit more urgency. Whatever. But yeah. Yeah. So in a magazine interview later in life, because Osman, I would say, enjoyed um, the pub- publicity brought on by Professor Yorma's books. Gross. I know. B- both of them are gross, honestly. <laughs> so, in an interview with a magazine, Osman claimed to have been a member of the SS and served <laughs> at a concentration camp um, as a guard at Auschwitz, to be specific. Uh, during his time at the camp, he fell in love with a Jewish girl and became disillusioned with life as a Nazi. Uh, when his relationship with the girl was discovered, he was sent to the Eastern Front to fight the advancing Soviets. He was captured and quickly turned becoming a KGB agent. Yeah, none of this happened. No, it didn't. It didn't fucking happen. Also, like, if you were literally, like, a Nazi war criminal, you wouldn't be bragging about it. <laughs> no. I mean, I don't know if the Finnish fe- felt the same way about it as, like, it would be if he showed up in England, but... I don't really know where the Finns stood in World War One or Two. Yeah, I would have to look so, that up. So, yeah. Like I said, we don't know if any of this is true, as Osman was an alcoholic and, um, at the very least, was abusive towards his wife, even being jailed for domestic abuse in the 70s. Um, so, potentially, as a result, his wife was very quick to give evidence that her ex-husband was in the area during all of the aforementioned murders. <laughs> Good for her. Um, I... I almost want to do a mini on him someday because his connections to the non-Bodum crimes are not as coincidental as you would think. Okay. Interesting. Like, I can't get into the other murders because they have their own stories. Um, but one of them he claims uh, was a cover-up, so... Oh, boy. There's that. Uh, so it's entirely possible that he committed a number of other crimes, probably even murder, but who the fuck knows? Right. That leads us to the M. Night Shyamalan plot twist in the whole story. In March of 2004, Finnish police arrested Nils Gustafsson. But he, Emily, was one of the boys that Mm -hmm. was bashed Mm -hmm. on the face. Yes, the one that survived. (laughs) I'd say it would be buck wild if they brought the corpse of the other (laughs) one into court, but we literally... We literally did a story about a pope who did that, so... There's precedent. (laughs) So the authorities claimed to have suspected Gustafson all along and insisted that there was evidence to support their claims, including evidence that DNA from the three dead teens had been on Gustafson's shoes, but not his own. 
They even had new testimony from an eyewitness who said that she'd heard the two boys arguing. Uh, wait, on Gustafson's shoes, but not his what? Uh, he, there was none of Gustafson's blood on his shoes that were found oh, half a mile okay. away from the camp, but the blood of the other three were found. Okay. I can, I mean, I don't know if I trust police in the 19-whatevers to uh, cohesively separate three different blood types. Yes. But um, continue. And also, keep in mind how the police have behaved and handled the case yes. up until this point. The prosecution claimed Gustafson had gotten drunk and was exiled from the tent. When Boisman made an attempt to talk to him, a fight ensued that Boisman allegedly won, resulting in Gustafson's fractured jaw and other injuries. Angry about the fight, Gustafson allegedly went back into the tent and in a blind rage killed his girlfriend and his two friends. Then he inflicted the rest of the superficial stab wounds on himself, tried to hide his shoes, and staged the rest of the crime scene. Why would he have to hide his shoes? I don't know. So Gustafson stuck largely to the same story he'd been telling for decades, that he couldn't remember anything other than going fishing with Boisman and that there was no argument. And now I'm going to uh, defense attorney this entire thing. I will say this, uh, this is a very, uh, a lot of assumptions being made in this theory. <laughs> yes. Um, when Travis came home from work last night, I was finishing up my notes and I just had like this whole, like, uh, it was my big American crime story moment. <laughs> really? Marsha Thompson. Was that her name? Uh, Marsha Clark. Marsha Clark. Marsha Thompson is someone else. Who is she? That name sounds very familiar. Oh, wow. Uh, she was in the Haunted Mansion movie with Eddie Murphy. So, <laughs> well, it makes sense why you would pull that name from thin air. <laughs> Uh, she was also on that show, Vegas. Um, anyways. Okay, so my issues with this story that the the uh, prosecution presented. The biggest one being that Gustafson's blood had been found in the tent where his head would have been. Yeah. The second is that he was found with mostly clean socks, so it was highly unlikely that he had walked a mile round trip to dispose of his shoes when he could have just thrown them in the lake or wherever he put the other missing shit. And also, why would he feel the need to hide his shoes? Like, it isn't like he realized, oh, no, my blood isn't on these shoes. I need to get rid of, like, no. Well, and with his wounds, if he had held the shoes, his blood would have been on them. Yeah, like, it's... (laughs) easier to fake that than like get rid of the shoes like yeah um the flap of the tent was also confirmed to have been closed when the crime scene was found so how would his blood have been inside the tent if he was attacking from the outside i also just you will probably get into this i doubt the whole motive of the thing like oh yeah certainly that has happened but like unless this kid has like a very documented history of crazy anger issues like there's no reason to believe no. just like a random normal kid is going to pop up, pop, pop off like enough that. And yeah, and mad enough or like their fight would have been severe enough. Like, it- yeah, like I can believe that maybe they got into a fight. But the fact that the fight would escalate to the fact where he kills the other kid and also their two girlfriends is insane. Yeah, I and I also don't think that if Boisman had gone out to like talk him down he would have been mad enough to get into a fight that resulted in him breaking his friend's jaw and giving him a severe concussion. Yeah, that's crazy from, like, that angle as well. Like, how did that kid have crazy anger issues? Because that's a beating. Yeah. So there's also the issue of 
Someone just sitting on information about one of the biggest unsolved cases in the country for 45 years, like the supposed eyewitness did. Because <laughs> she didn't come forward at the beginning of the investigation. Literally, the first anyone other than, I guess, the police and whatever the finished version of a DA was had heard about this was during the trial. Remind me about this witness again. I think I missed that part. Uh, it was a woman who said that she had heard the two boys fighting oh, on the night yeah. of the 4th. That that uh, feels dubious to me because maybe she did hear people fighting. Was it that night? Like how how can you be sure? Forty years was later, was it those boys? Yeah, like, there were clearly other people in in the area. Like lastly, multiple credible witnesses said that they saw a blonde man during the campsite. The bird watching baby boys <laughs> said that they saw a blonde man walking away from the tent, like he was at the campsite. Mm-hmm. Gustafson is a brunette. He's the one brunette in all of Finland. (laughs) And I guess, lastly, he was hit so hard on the back of the head that his brain juice was coming out of his nose and his teeth were visible through his face meat. Yeah, that's, you don't do that to yourself. (laughs) Yeah, those those aren't Unless, like, you have crazy issues. Yeah, there's a lot about his mental health writing on this, and... There has not been any other evidence of him having right. issues. Like this would not be a one-off thing. You not not even to say like he would never he would keep on murdering folks, but like you would have a history of behavior that supports this. Yeah, this isn't like a first-time thing. You don't just freak out and murder three of your friends and then hit yourself in the back of the head and stab yourself in the face and then go on to live a completely normal life. Yeah. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but also that implies, like, the story that the police came up with implies that he was doing all of this because they uh, postured that uh, Boisman had kicked Gustafson in the head, which resulted in his broken jaw. He would have had to commit the murders and clean up the crime scene and do all that other stuff with a concussion. Yeah. <sighs> so the court most likely saw that the evidence provided by the prosecution was weak at best and acquitted. Gustafson of all charges in 2005. Good. Uh, 45 years after the murder, uh, he'd been living a full, normal life as a school bus driver. My God. They awarded him a reasonable sum of money for his trouble, like being in prison for 45 days before being deemed not a flight risk. And then... I gotta say, this is pretty quaint. (laughs) They made him return to the campsite during the trial to witness a reconstruction of the scene where three of his friends died and he was almost killed as well. They wouldn't award him damages for all of the tabloid bullshit that was a result of the trial. Now, if this had happened in the United States of America, uh, the police would have arrested him within a month. Uh, He would have been gone through a sham trial, convicted, and then he would have spent 40 years in jail for finally being (laughs) exonerated by DNA evidence, and then he would get no compensation. It's true. Uh, So they have that going. I just say, Um, like, oh, they, like, realized during the trial that the the prosecution's case was bullshit. Not only did they, like, release him from being held in jail immediately, but they also then immediately compensated him. Yeah. Um... As far as I know, he's still alive, just doing his thing. Per um, kid. I look yeah, I looked at some of the uh like the trial photos and that is a man who is deeply haunted. Like it's you can see it in his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like I'm sure he's spent his whole life trying to put this behind him 
and he thinks he's probably past it. And then it all comes years later. back again. It's yeah. the worst possible way. Yeah. That's very upsetting. The, the part that, that, upsets me the most is that the police claim that they had suspected him all along and it's like oh really well then why didn't you do anything about it you just let this guy who murdered three people like oh my god like if you actually believed that story <laughs> that he lost his marbles so badly that he like killed three of his friends you wouldn't be like he's he will probably do this again let's build a fucking case apparently not um they were too busy believing uh, alibis from people who probably did it. Um, okay. So to, to wrap up this episode and then I'll, I'll be taking questions. Um, <laughs> we're gonna go with my theory. Um, so my euros are on the kiosk man. That, yeah, I can see that. Despite Osman being a good suspect for some of the other murders, he did have, I hate to say it, a very solid alibi. Um, this other guy though, Widely known to hate campers, had violent tendencies, and his wife admitted that he had threatened her for an alibi. Yeah, that's... that's Those are some red flags. Yeah, and he has a motive for that behavior, because imagine how loud a group of drunk teenagers must have oh been. God. I'm sure they were super obnoxious. And I mean that in, like, the best way. Like, teenagers should get drunk and be super obnoxious. Yeah, they have to get out of their systems now so they don't become the fucking kiosk man. Yeah. My guess is that they annoyed him at some point during the fourth. Like, they went to the kiosk, they were loud, they... whatever. Yeah. He seemed very easy to Some perceived slight. Yeah. Um, and then he took the, the brief opportunity, since finish nights are, like we said, very, very short. Um, he took the brief opportunity that night to take his revenge and probably stole some shit to make it look like a robbery. He wanted trophies. And they didn't do a very good search of his property. <laughs> and so then they and, gave up because his wife vouched for him, which. Yeah. A wife that I'm pretty sure the police would have had some inkling that he was abusing. Yeah. I'm not saying like, don't ever like dismiss an alibi if it comes from a wife, but like if the wife is the one. It. Yeah. Like you can't just take that at face value. You gotta maybe give that some extra scrutiny yes uh, an alibi from a family member needs to be treated as supplementary evidence and not all of not disqualifying yeah for sure yeah um and he admitted sober and drunk over the years details of the crime that wouldn't be widely known so yeah yeah i'm on your side i think it was probably him and yeah i mean he's dead so good you know. yeah seems like an ass uh yeah, he sounded like a real bastard. So that's that's the case of the Lake Bodum murders. Uh, technically unsolved, but is it really when you actually look at the facts of the case? I feel like a lot of mysteries are, well, we know the answer, but just like they never got a prosecution out of it. So technically. I mean, that that's the part that, that sucks is that um, the police just fucked it so badly mm-hmm. every which way. That the families never got that closure. Yeah, that sucks. And I think they also probably fucked up the cases that Osman was involved in because those are also all unsolved I was going to say, it sounds like he never served any time for anything of meaning. As far as I know, he just died of probably liver disease, but... Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry that episode wasn't as funny as the last one. I mean, it did have a guy named Hans Osman. Yeah, 
I just, it's going to be real hard to find a headline or quote. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get there. Maybe it'll be the part where I was yelling about leaking brain juice and face meat. <laughs> Maybe it will be this right here. Everyone yes, loves listening to things like that twice. Let's just do a trailer for the episode here that I could use as a headliner because there's no fucking funny parts in it because three teens died. Ass man. (laughs) (laughs) He was an ass man. All right. Uh, If you have more evidence or your own theories, we are on Twitter at Afternoonified and Instagram at Afternoonified. You can also find us at GetAfternoonified.com. You can also buy merch. Uh, you can listen to old episodes. You can donate. Um, let me know if you guys want bucket hats as merchandise, because <laughs> apparently that's an option we can offer now. We can put Billy Howie Tactors on a bucket hat. For all you cool teens. Actually, we should just put Billy Howie Tafters on a bucket hat and just gift it to Avalon. <laughs> Avalon, if you're listening to this, we're we're definitely kidding. <laughs> Definitely. That requires follow through. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that my brother has one of Avalon's designs as a tattoo. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I gave him a print that I got from Avalon for his birthday. Oh, and you he made it a tattoo? Me, yeah, he texted me a few days later with like a new dragon tattoo on his arm, which is a shitty sequel to a good book. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, the 23 year old with the dragon tattoo. Um,. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, uh, Avalon does good art. He's done some merch designs for us. I would highly recommend. Also, we have that dope-ass Mothman shirt. What are you guys doing? We do? Yeah, I we have that retro Mothman design. Where it says, Mothman, do you not remember our own merch design? I don't. I need to go look for this. Hold on. I need, I need to be on air when you see this. Let me go to our website. Because that's the only, know, only way I know how to find the merch i don't remember this yeah it was during that big merch rollout we did um like a year ago oh my god we do why did i never get anything with this on it (laughs) i'm surprised you don't have at least a tote right man it's like my brand yeah it's it's there because of you (laughs) the godforsaken episode well i will need to uh fix that (laughs) i'm just looking now i scrolled down too far and now there are just like so many mothman stickers they're all really cute look at this i'll show you a mothman someday with fluffy yarn it'll be great i would love that um all right so yes do do that buy the merch it's it's super cute merch and we'll see you guys next time oh remember to rate subscribe like whatever yeah Uh, do all that stuff all those things you do yes all right guys Bye. We love you. Uh, And be careful when you go camping. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This is As Above, So Below.